Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, Kevin talks to Sean So about a unique way the government shows preference to small businesses, the 8A program. Sean is the CEO of the So Company, a service design company specializing in new digital products for the federal government. Sean joined Kevin on the podcast to share his experience with the 8A program. This podcast is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. If you're frustrated with your progress in the government market, Skyway's team of former contracting officers can help you move faster, win more contracts, and manage the contracts you have more effectively. Go to askskyway.com to learn more. Okay, let's get started with Kevin, Sean, and the 8A program. The 8A program, it's a unique program designed to help small and, and, I guess, emerging companies. So they get a head start in government contracting. And uh, Paul and Shelley actually did a whole podcast, uh, episode, uh, episode 95, about the 8A program. In short, it's got a few key features. The biggest one is the contracting officer can do a direct source to a, an 8A contractor with worth up to $4 million. The other side of it is that it's only good for nine years, but though nine years is a long time. Is there anything else, Sean, that jumps out at you that makes the 8A program really unique since you've just gone through the process of becoming one? Yes, Kevin. We're previously certified as a service-disabled veteran-owned small business, an SDVOSB. So when we looked at and learned from the podcast about the 8A program, we thought that there were some unique advantages that we wanted to take into consideration for future bid proposals and work. One of those was sort of the idea of similarly situated, uh, because we've previously done a lot of subcontracting. And there were a lot of opportunities that we felt that 8A could bring in even our subcontracting plan for similarly situated. What I mean by similarly situated is that if a prime contract awardee is an 8A, they can sub to us 8A work uh, and still meet the threshold requirements because we're very new, relatively young company, and we wanted to sort of expand where we could get more work, whether it be through future prime contract awards that the 8A offers, uh, like sole sourcing, 8A set-aside competitions, but also other subcontract work that we were looking to maybe uh, sort of add to our, our pipeline strategy. Very interesting. And that's as a contracting officer, <laughs> never would have thought of that as an option. So look at that, right, right out of the gate, we're hitting with new stuff. We'll stop and say thanks first. Thanks this week is to you, Sean So, and uh, to also Richard Wheeler, your business partner. You guys took a flyer on us uh, back in 2015 when the f- podcast first came out and became a customer of, about a month later. And we've been helping you in small doses ever since. And it's kind of cool that your company has grown. You've gotten more subcontracts. You're learning more. And you know, here you are, an 8A, two and a half years later. So it's just it's neat to watch our, our customers grow through the relationships that we build. All right, let's, let's set the stage. That's <laughs> the way Paul says it. Let's set the stage for, you know, what is the 8A program? Let's back up a sec. The 8A program is a business development program that provides business assistance for small disadvantaged businesses that are owned and controlled at least 51% by socially and economically disadvantaged individuals. The 8A program is intended to help socially and economically disadvantaged entrepreneurs gain access, and this is the phrase, to the economic mainstream, right, of American business. If you're a smaller business, it can be a rocket booster for you. And I think you, you just mentioned, Sean, the idea of, of it gives you access to prime contracts. It's an additional advantage. It's a really cool scalp. It's not free. And for example, you have to be in business two years to get it. I mean, there's a process. You don't just like you know, check a box and poof, you got it. 
What, what are the steps that you went through? Looking at the 8A program after we listened to the podcast, uh, literally after uh, I finished listening to it, I talked with Richard and we sat in front of each other with a whiteboard and we, we kind of mapped some of the important highlights that Shelly had mentioned during the podcast. And we then went through it and we kind of looked at it in parody to where we were at the time. And we had to ask ourselves the, the questions of, of you know past performance. Can we, for the next four years, in the set aside, tolerate the the timeline and, and the hopeful growth that it would do? And can we sort of invest the time, uh, not knowing it was going to be a little over a year, but we kind of went through it uh, anyway. That uh, it, the time and resources it would take to even complete the certification process, and whether or not if it was worth it financially. Uh, whether or not it was worth it. Because for me, being the disadvantaged member of the company, it it would inevitably fall upon me to be responding to all the additional information requests, tax returns, uh, memos, everything. It, it could become very much a time-intensive process. So we had to look at the cost-benefit, and we had to do our own cost-benefit analysis if we were ready to do it. And we decided that we were. Fortunately, like I said, about a year prior, we were successfully admitted to the SDVOSB program through VA. So we felt that we have at least some sort of background in the certification process industry, I like to call it sometimes, where <laughs> we need to sit down, fill forms, uh, just fill more forms and triplicates. Uh, make more signatures and more photocopies and file away things that we know we would have to come back to at another month if somebody emailed us and they said they just couldn't find it or they lost the form. Again, like Richard, myself, we spent uh, almost a decade each in the military. So we're used to records <laughs> and filling out records and triplicate and holding on to records and transferring records. So we felt like that this was some process that we could handle at, at, at the stage we were in then. Now, one of the pieces of the application is you have to demonstrate potential for success. Now, that's a judgment call. So was that hard to address? Was that you had the marketing content for that? We felt that we did uh, specifically because even prior to applying for certification, we felt that we had at least three good past performance on the record that we could illustrate the potential for success. And the thesis that we ran with was if we, before certification, were able to get government contract work and make revenue while growing a profit, we felt that that was our proof that we could demonstrate success. And that's what we tried to highlight in our application. Cool. Okay, so then the other piece of this is that the principles must show good character, right? So the idea is that you you and, and Richard have to show good character because I've never personally <laughs> filled out an 8A application. Did you find that one difficult, laughable? Like, what, what, was, that, was that weird? <laughs> I mean, how big, of a, how big of a piece was that? You know, I, you know, to be upfront, I feel the show good character is kind of a, uh, a jargon term that's put from the law into into sort of implementing in this process because, you know, the question that we always had is how do you show good character? It's you do interviews, you do background research, um, 
but we felt that, you know, we're upstanding citizens. We both served time in the military. I did. We honorable discharge. We actually both had top secret security clearances. So we've had to pass some background checks before. So we thought that that was a natural if you just looked at our resume. Having a top secret security clearance would kind of help because your character's already kind of been vetted pretty heavily. Let's talk through the, the time zones. So the acquisition time zones, which are in episode three, and the execution time zones, which are in episode 84, for those who are new to the, to the podcast. We have, in this case, the 8 program, whether or not to use the 8 program is a big part of the market research zone because the government is deciding, can an 8 company do this? The RFP zone, depending on how they do it, if it's a competitive 8 well, you have the exercise of assessing how do you write a proposal as, a, as an 8 How do you compete with other 8 Or if it's a word of direct source, the RFP zone is basically a negotiation. Those are the two acquisition time zones that would apply. On the execution side, I think the place that it shows up the most is going to be in the recompete. Because at that point, now you're thinking, does it, this has been an 8A contract for the last five years. Does it stay an 8A contract? Does it stay an 8A set aside? Does it stay a direct source? Uh, if you're not an 8A and you're trying to keep it from staying an 8A, <laughs> you have a different approach during the recompete zone. And those are the zones that jump out at me, the market research zone, RFP zone, and the recompete zone. Any other areas that, that in your experience so far, you think it shows up? I definitely agree uh, wholeheartedly with those three zones. Uh, what I found interesting is that uh, when we look at new opportunities, we kind of take your approach. I think uh, you said if you just see an RFP on FBO for the first time, you're too late. And so we, we kind of take that approach of going what we call left of bang, um, <laughs> where we want to go as far left this is military terms, but as far left of bang, and we call it the award as we can go. We think the requirement zone, uh, there's some benefit uh, to promote uh, or at least talk with contracting officers doing market research. But even before then, of planting the idea of we have an 8A. This is what an 8A is good for. Even if you kind of don't even know what you're purchasing, you know, part of your requirements for this new program or website or content deliverable in our case, there could be some benefit to you, at least considering the 8A program. So and that's kind of like we just sneak that in there and tell them, at least as you start your market research, you may want to consider inserting some specific requirements for this. And what I think this is all about helping to influence the requirements, right? Yeah. So that this is, if it makes something unique for us to give us an advantage, as a good capitalist, we take any advantage we can get. So that's what we kind of look into helping shape requirements with our 8A guys. Let's touch on why this is so important. There are obvious advantages to government and to industry. Uh, on the government side, we'll, we'll talk through, but the biggest one is the speed acquisition to me, uh, as you can award quickly. But on the industry side, you have a lot of advantages with the 8A program, whether it's limited competition, because there are only so many 8As. It, it's a process to get one, so not anybody can get one. And on top of that, you can have the direct source award. And, and you talked about this idea of being similarly situated was an example of something as a CEO I wouldn't have thought of. So are there any other pieces like that to make the 8A program particularly attractive to you and Richard when you were slugging through, you know, when you're in the miserable middle, when you're halfway through finishing the certification, 
that you said, you know what, we, this is worth finishing because. Yeah. In addition to the sole source, the sole source is, you know, the big attractive piece of this 8 program. Everybody loves the idea that there's a program out there for the government that you can win a sole source non-compete. That is great. But we also know from the reality that, you know, there needs to be other benefits. And the similarly situated was a real big one because we know that in addition to having as many prime contract awards as you can, you also need to foster better team arrangements. And if there are other 8A companies out there that need help doing work, we felt like that was also an offering that we could help them complete their contract. And not only can we do the work, we're also going to help you fulfill your 51% requirement. So we felt like that was another advantage. The other thing is that, you know, because we had the SDBOSB certification, we felt that that we were heavily leveraged towards VA work, because that's where a lot of SDBOSB work comes from. And after uh, several debriefs that we've talked with other CEOs about work, which, you know, you help sort of help us sort of steer that conversation uh, after some competitions, is that, you know, we found that while the SDBOSB is the primary reason within VA to award contracts, the 8A may not be as beneficial to them, specifically considering the rule of two, the the rule of two ruling, and that agencies like DOD or Homeland Security may prefer 8A programs more. And that, you know, having an SDBOSB alone may not be beneficial, but having 8A could help us diversify within our portfolio to get outward away from just relying on one agency. So that was another reason uh, why we looked into it. And it's a tool that allows you to expand more rapidly between different agencies. That's an interesting point. Again, that, when you say it, it's obvious. <laughs> but as a CEO, that's not how I'm, I, I'm not wired to think of it that way. Right. I mean, because we kind of look at it like a portfolio. If you're heavily invested in one agency, depending on sort of how funding gets appropriated, you kind of need to sort of diversify where you get your contracts from. So the 8A program, uh, we felt was a way to help us diversify uh, that strategy. Very good points. Let's touch on why the government cares. I mentioned this a little bit before, is that it it's a speed of acquisition is if you need to get something done, you can limit it to three or four 8A companies, or for that matter, you, you have one, it's a million dollar, I awarded a, a million dollar contract to an 8A. It was a direct source because it was under the 4 million and it was somebody that they, they had to experience. And it's a very effective and efficient way to get good service. Put it that way, right? That's one of the benefits on the government side. Here's the catch. Let me just put it out there. If you're a contractor, don't lead with your 8A status. Um, I've gotten people hand me their business card and it has, you know, I'm an 8A. Doesn't mention what they do. Doesn't mention what industry they're in. Or it might be, you know, an, an IT contractor that's 8A. Okay, again, IT is a giant market, right? And so that's the big, the, probably my biggest pet peeve about the 8A program is it is not just, just like a GSA schedule. It is not a guaranteed contract. It is a license to hunt in a proper way. And that's, and, and you're talking about like the fact that you're, you understand how to use it so that you can expand your portfolio in specific areas within your niche. That's, that's how you use it to hunt properly. Sometimes folks think, oh yeah, I got my AA, where's my contract? Just like they would think, I got my services able to turn in small business status, where's my contract? And that's a, that's a flawed way to look at it. So from the government side, and, and there's, I'm sure other CEOs <laughs> have their own pet peeves with it, but I found it very effective 
when you used it properly. When the company that I knew they could do it based on their past performance, I could award to them quickly. And it was a, a very effective way to meet my customer's need within the system that we have. On the industry side, what are the, what are the big things that, that you think people should be aware of? I think when you're awarded, it's important to note that you have a timeline. When you're given your letter of acceptance of the program, SBA, and quite frankly, we already knew about this because of the podcast uh, first time, is that we are on a timeline when we have to receive uh, certain numbers of contracts, specifically sole source contracts are allowed within the first half of the program. And so when you're awarded that, it makes you feel like you have to go, all right? You can't uh, waste your time because, first of all, you only get the 8A once. I can't, you know, liquidate my company or sell my company and start another company and then get an 8A later, like you can do with other programs like SDPUSB. But with 8A, it's only one time. So we had to make the decision that, one, we are going to apply and hopefully get awarded, and two, by the time we apply, to know that we have now have to act uh, because time is running out essentially from day one. Uh, so it was important for us to realize that we knew once we were awarded our 8A that we have to do things and be active and, and hopefully be able to maximize the opportunities that the 8A can give us. Because while some people say, yes, it's a golden ticket, that's great. You can get $4 million sole source contract awards but that doesn't last forever. And the second point behind that is knowing that the 8A program ends eventually, that are we set up to succeed without the 8A program? Because if we solely rely on sole source or 8A competition awards, that can we win awards without any of these certifications? So it, it, it makes us conscious of, of, of that uh, coming down the pipeline. I don't want to say that I'm smiling, but I'm, I'm remembering because it sounds kind of mean. But a couple of companies that I've come across that have come to us after they've graduated from the 8A program, the description of what happened is somebody pulled the third leg out from under the stool is that they had, like you just talked about, they had this advantage that abruptly ended. And now they, dam they never learned how to, or maybe learns the wrong word, they never expertly mastered <laughs> the idea of competing for work. Particularly if what happens sometimes is by the time they come out of the 8A program, if they do it, if they do it well, and let's say they're a, a, a company that's service contractor or the NAICS code of $7 million, they could easily in those nine years be a large business. And they walk out at the end of this program and you know, they're in the cold <laughs> competing against Lockheed on their own. It's like, yikes, I walked into a propeller bar. So they have to be careful they don't walk into a mess. So you, you raised some really good points. That's why they, uh, I think Shelly refers to them as the cliffs. <laughs> There's a cliff at year five and a cliff at year nine. And year five is where you don't get sole source contracts, direct source anymore. And year nine is where you're out of the program. It's like the Indiana Jones ball is chasing you. It's like you got to know that you, know, you got to keep moving because you only got so much time. And again, five years is a long time. So it's not like it's, it's that difficult, but you can't ignore it. That's right. When you think about it, every government contract, your pipeline is, is long lead, right? So if it takes you maybe a year or a year and a half to help shape requirements and start looking, like I said earlier, like left of bang, far out of the new opportunity, a five-year timeline, maybe look at two or three iterations of a program and, and you start you know, backwards planning that because like I said, you don't want to see the RFP drop 
for the first time on FBO not know about it, even though if it's an 8A competition, if you don't know about it yet, you still, even though you're an 8A, you are probably not situated pretty well to win that award. And, and you raise a good point. If you In that five years, five years is about how long it takes for a lot of contracts. That's, that's the length of a contract cycle, right? So it's, it's, it's a service contract. It's good for five years. You've only got one shot at that particular contract as an 8A because well, maybe two shots if it happens in years three and eight. <laughs> but that's a lot of variables to manage. Okay, that's a good place to wrap this up. The big takeaway for me is the contracting officer doesn't know the process to get certified. I, I knew there was a process, but I mean, I never studied it until I started helping companies do it. And so they're not really going to appreciate the effort that goes into it, the value of it, and the fact that that clock is ticking and how stressful that can be for you as a contractor. So when there's targeting happening on the industry side, they say, hey, we're going to make this an 8A, the sooner that you communicate that COs and government folks communicate that to industry, the more effective the awards are going to be. Because if, if you know that you're going to be an 8A until 2020, and this particular opportunity isn't going to be released until 2021, take it out of your pipeline. At, at least as an 8A, you may choose to go after it as a full and open, but that's a different conversation. And then consider the, the investments from both sides. It can be challenging sometimes to find the right 8A. As a contracting officer, I found there were ones that I awarded, and then there were ones that I said, you know what, these 8As, yes, they're eligible to get the contract, but I'm not confident they can do it or do it well. And that's a challenge. To basically tell somebody your certificate of competency from the Small Business Administration isn't good enough, <laughs> that's not a thing you can just say without irritating people, right? So there, there's a process. So when, when you're an 8A, make sure you make it easy for the government folks to award to you. By, by, and that's you know, things like the having good character and having, you know, showing success, make, being able to look at your portfolio of work and say, oh, yeah, they can totally do this, as opposed to having that feeling of, ooh, this might be a hard one. That's not what you want the government team to be thinking. I'd like to reiterate, and, and this goes for other certifications like the SDVUSB that we've learned along the way, that something like the 8A is an extra tool in your kit. Having the 8A doesn't guarantee you work. It's a, it's a special thing to have if you're doing your market planning and your pipeline planning and uh, your business development appropriately when you reach a customer and they have been sold on your offering. Then during the acquisition process, they can ask, oh, do you have any special certifications? And you're like, oh, yeah, we're also an 8A. That's kind of like you know a feather in your cap. Having the 8A is a, a bonus and that in the pool of competition where you're, there's a lot of companies out there that say they can offer similar things. But if you want, I think, to get some kind of leg up, you know, say, oh, we're also an 8A, that is something that can sort of make you stand out amongst the rest of the crowd. And that's sort of the way we look at it. It's, it's a bonus. It's not just a thing that we expect to give us uh, work automatically. Sell your capabilities. Mention your 8A. Because you're a guest on the podcast and, I, I, and you're also a Skyway customer, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity for people to know about you. So what's the best way for folks to get a, a hold of Sean So? Best way to reach us is by email, uh, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at thesocompany.com. Also reach out on LinkedIn, Sean So, connect with me, direct message me, um, happy to email or answer questions via LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for being a podcast listener and a Skyway customer. And I will catch up with you later. Thank you, guys. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks to Sean So. And if you have questions about the 8A program, visit AskSkyway.com and schedule a time to learn. Thanks for joining us today.